You're listening to the Wobcast with the one and only, the legendary, the insurmountable Wobby. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's another edition of the Wobcast, second one this week. That's right, we have an end of the week Wobcast for you. That's because these games are getting bigger, so the Wobcast is going to get bigger as well. We got a lot to get to on today's show. We're going to take a look at the playoff picture in both the NFC and the AFC. We'll even offer up an AFC prediction for you later in the Wobcast. We're going to take a closer look at this week's Vikings opponent, the Miami Dolphins, and of course we'll get to some of your mail as well. But as co-host and producer Chris Corso joins me right now, we have a really fun guest that we want to get to. It is Sam Munson of Pro Football Focus. And Chris, as you and I both know, Pro Football Focus has grown so much over the last few seasons, and their work is really fun to follow. Yeah, it really is. They do so much great work, and they have stats for just about everything. Um, It was really interesting in this interview how um, there was the stat that Stephon Diggs currently has 88 catches without a single drop this season. That is the most catches without a drop in a single season that PFF has ever recorded. Um, but that's not all for the stat. He, he went on to kind of talk about what they consider a drop and, and what they consider a pass defended um, as it might be different from the traditional way of grading um, these plays in, in the game. So um, that that's kind of a good lead into kind of what these guys do over there and and I think they do a great job yeah they do so uh and we're uh we're honored to be joined by Sam Munson of Pro Football Focus obviously they're very busy at their headquarters in Cincinnati getting ready for another week of football but we had a cool conversation with Sam and we want to share that with you right now all right so now we bring in Sam Munson to the Wobcast really looking forward to this conversation Sam is Pro Football Focus's lead NFL analyst I think he's always got an eye on the Vikings, though. That's my hunch. Is that true, Sam? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I actually lived in Minnesota for a year when I was a kid. Uh, when I was seven years old, my, we moved over to um, Rochester, Minnesota, because my dad is a surgeon uh, working at the, the Mayo Clinic. Um, so I kind of always had a little bit of an eye on the Vikings all, all these years and ended up working in or working at Pro Football Focus. So. Yeah, I kept an eye on them from there. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, folks can follow Sam on Twitter, at PFF underscore Sam. Highly recommend you do it. If you love football, you're going to love following Sam. Uh, you're, you're from not America, Sam, but now you're in America. You mentioned your dad being a surgeon and, and living in Rochester. Now I believe it, you're, you're in Cincinnati. But tell folks a little bit about what kind of led you to pro football focus and, and what you do today for them. Yeah, so I'm Irish, and I was really lucky enough to be one of the first guys into PFF um, just through knowing Neil Hornsby, the, the PFF founder. Mm-hmm. Really the, all the first guys working at PFF all met online through a message board, the, uh, the official NFL UK message board. Um, obviously, NFL fans from the UK and Ireland all kind of, uh, you know, just talked NFL there. And, and Neil used that as like a <laughs> sort of scouting bed for guys that he thought knew enough about football to come on and help him start doing games. He kind of created this system um, and really a, a charting system to just try and um, quantify how guys are playing. You know, I got fed up of listening to announcers talk about, you know, this guy's one of the best in the league, well, knowing that he isn't, you know, and, and trying to put some numbers to it. So 
he created this system and sort of used this message board as a um, a recruitment center. And I was one of the first guys in the door to start doing games and really just grew from there. So I've been kind of in this operation from the ground up right up to the point where Chris Collinsworth ultimately buys the company back in 2014, I think, um, you know, moves the whole thing over to Cincinnati, a, a proper PFS headquarters here. Um, and then eventually I, I moved over, got the visa and, and headed over here. Yeah, that, that, that's a pretty cool story. What do you remember about your days in Rochester, Minnesota? Not an awful lot. Um, we moved around a lot when I was a kid, so I don't, I don't have a huge amount of childhood memories beyond a certain point period. Just the cold, really. You know? <laughs> getting, out, um, getting out and your eyelashes freezing. Yeah. Cold, that kind of thing. What? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of cold memories. That's about it. Why does everyone only remember the cold here? You know, we have beautiful falls and hot summers, but no one seems to remember those. Yeah, but other places have those as well. You know? <laughs> Not too many places have eyelash freezing right. temperatures on a regular basis yeah that's a good point and you know um a place that definitely does not have eyelash freezing temperatures is miami and the vikings play the miami dolphins this week of course the game will not be outside it will be inside the warm and comfy confines of u.s bank stadium unless our owners want to open up the pivoting glass doors we could let a little cold air in um but that's our opponent this week Sam, this is an unfamiliar opponent for Vikings fans. We see this team once every four years, so it's quite a, a different team than the one we saw in 2014. What is your sort of uh, what's your beat on the Miami Dolphins? What type of team are they? They're a really interesting team because I don't think that they're actually that good, but they've won a lot of games. You know, they're overachieving. They obviously beat the Patriots on that miracle play at the end of the game last week um, and they just keep finding a way to, to outperform how they should be um, when, it, when you look at just how everybody's, everybody's grading on that team. They're currently the 28th ranked team in the NFL just based on overall pro football focus grades and that's really a composite of us grading every single player on every single play um, throughout the season. So there aren't too many areas where they're grading well. You know, most of the areas that you look at, whether it's uh, passing, whether it's pass blocking, run blocking, run defense, coverage, all this kind of stuff. They're not grading particularly well in almost any of these areas, but they have found ways to win games. And a lot of it has been, you know, playmakers making plays at key times. They've got some relatively good graded skill position players. Now, a lot of those guys have been injured throughout the course of the year, whether it's Albert Wilson um, or Jakeem Grant or guys like that going down. But they've, they've had this incredible ageless Frank Gore in the backfield who continues to just keep churning away the yardage. Kenyon Drake, his kind of stable mate back there, is an incredible talent. And we saw that on the last play of the game against the Patriots. He's the guy that can make those special plays happen. But, you know, this is a team that is very exploitable, um, albeit one that it, you have to respect them because they've been able to consistently overcome some of this horrible play. Do you think the Vikings' pass rush will have a chance to get to Tannehill, or do you think Adam Gase, their head coach and offensive designer, and Tannehill will be mindful of that and will get the ball out fast? I think probably a little bit of both. Um, their offensive line is definitely not a good one. and In fact, they have a fairly comparable offensive line, I would say, to the Vikings. 
which is to say one of the worst in the NFL when it comes to pass blocking. So you can definitely Ouch. get after them. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it's tough to hide that at this point. They've given up, <laughs> the Vikings, that is, have given up more pressure from the offensive line than any other team in the NFL. And even if you look at it on a sort of per drop-back basis, they're, I think, they're the third worst uh, in the league. So the Dolphins are down there, though. They do not have a good offensive line. They've had some injuries as well, losing a guy like Josh Sitton, who is still one of the best pass-blocking guards in the league. But I think they've been a little bit better than the Vikings at mitigating the, the damage that that offensive line can do. So they've um, sped the ball up coming out of whether their quarterback's hands, whether it's in Tannehill or Osweiler before. Um, they get Tannehill on the move a little bit more than the Vikings do with Kirk Cousins. Um, so I think they're definitely going to have opportunities to beat that offensive line to, to get pressure but I think the the, Vikings, or the the Dolphins have been pretty good at getting the ball out of his hands quickly, at getting him on the move. Um, he has one of the quickest average times to throw in the NFL. I think he's seventh tied with Derek Carr and Phillip Rivers in terms of just getting rid of the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, so they're pretty good at mitigating that, but it's going to be a problem for them. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm curious, um, your your maybe observations or opinions on the reasoning for it, Sam. The Vikings' defensive turnaround. I mean, we all watched the first quarter of the season, an uncharacteristic Vikings defense in terms of giving up big plays and points. But over the last nine games, a more traditional-looking Vikings defense under head coach Mike Zimmer. In fact, I did a little number crunching. The Vikings are giving up nine fewer points per game in the last nine than they did in the first four, and they're giving up 83 fewer yards per game in the last nine compared to the first four. So as you've looked at it and analyzed it, is there a thing that has happened or maybe a series of things that have happened in concert that has led to this improvement? Yeah, I think there's there's a few things that work. People, I think, don't give Trey Wayne's enough credit um i think because he was such a high draft pick you know first round pick number 11 overall and he was a guy that that pro football focus wasn't that high on coming out because we didn't think he was worth the first round pick and i think probably when you look back at his career so far that's probably a fair opinion you know he may have been a second round type of player a guy who's never going to be a star a shutdown corner um you know a guy maybe worthy of the number 11 overall pick but he has developed into a pretty good starter. He's developed into a capable uh, starting cornerback who can go out there against uh, top-quality receivers and do a good job of slowing those guys down. And that's not to say, you know, he's going to win every single rep and he's going to give up some plays and all cornerbacks do that. But him being out there is a major part of this this defense. You know, they, the, the Vikings cornerback depth is still a little bit questionable, particularly when guys like Xavier Rose have been banged up and, you know, you're relying on, on a guy like Holton Hill and obviously Mike Hughes is down hurt as well. So they don't have a huge amount of depth there. So a guy like Trey Waynes being on the field is, is I think, very important for this coverage. And, and coverage really is the most important part of defense right now is being able to get multiple guys deep in when it comes to your cornerback stable and, to, so you're not beaten very quickly, you know, so that mm-hmm. anything that is going to happen takes a little while to develop, buys that pass rush a little bit of time to get home, and also buys the, the disguises that you're doing a little bit of time to happen. You know, the, the Vikings defense is one of the best in the NFL at disguising what it is they want to do, and not just from a 
coverage standpoint, but also from a blitz standpoint. You know, they stack guys in the A-gaps and they confuse opposing pass protection schemes um, as much as they do quarterbacks. And all of that stuff just takes a little bit of time to work. You need, you know, you're relying on the fact that the quarterback has to buy uh, half a beat of time to, to understand what exactly is happening or the, the pass protection scheme needs to do the same thing. And if it doesn't matter, none of that matters if your quarterback gets beaten right off the line on you know, a quick release and the quarterback can get the ball in the air quickly. You know, it doesn't matter what coverage you're rotating to or the fact that they're not going to pick up the blitz you're sending at them because yeah. the ball's already in the air and it's gone and you're already beaten. You know, guys, cornerbacks that can hang with the coverage just a little bit longer make all of that stuff tick. Well, good news for the Vikings. We just released the injury report and Trey Waynes is expected to play after um, practicing all week, so that's a good thing there. Another player that seems to show up um, on some of the pro football focus numbers just following um, from afar is Anthony Harris, and he's a player who um, started out as, as a practice squad guy and then obviously has become one of our main players there as our starting safety at that position. Andrew Sandejo went on the IR. So um, talk a little bit about what you've seen from Anthony Harris and, and what's made him really like stand out in some of those numbers that you guys put out. Yeah, he's been a really fun player this season. Um, he's actually graded pretty consistently well at PFF almost all the way through his career. We just haven't had a huge amount of playing time. You know, no season before this year has he had more than uh, 254 snaps, which is what he had last season, 234 the year before that, 148 the year before that. So we just haven't seen him on the field very much, but almost all of his grading in that time has been positive. It's been better than average and he's looked like a reasonable player. But this year, there's just something slightly different about him. We're seeing him you know, deliver these incredible hits, um, significant sort of forceful blows in a time where a lot of defensive backs are actually backing off that kind of contact because of the, the way penalties are getting called and all that kind of stuff. But we're also seeing him you know, make those spectacular interceptions, not just get his hands to the ball, but secure the, the pit, create the turnover. Um, and I think we're just seeing a guy that's, uh, much more comfortable in what he's doing now that he's been propelled into the starting role and, and showing the kind of talent that he does have. I've been really impressed with how he's played so far this season. It's been a, a dramatic turnaround. And, you know, for a guy that was always grading pretty well, I think he's among the, the highest graded safeties we have right now. Mm-hmm. How about uh, your, your grade and opinions of Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen? What have you thought of their seasons in 2018? I mean, I think those two are both pretty special players. Um, uh, I think they're both among the best route runners in the NFL, but they're also among the both the best contested catch guys in football as well, which mm-hmm. is unusual for receivers that aren't, you know, six foot three, big body, dominant, physical specimen types. You know, like uh, Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. Those are guys you expect to be good contested catch guys, but. Stephon Diggs led all receivers in 2017 in contested catches, and, uh, and Adam Thielen, I think, was six. So they had two guys in the top six a year ago, and they're both, I think, in the top 20 this season as well. Mm-hmm. Diggs, in particular, is just consistently one of the best in the NFL at the catch point when it arrives for a guy who is not a big receiver, um, and that's really kind of incredible. But Adam Thielen has one of the best releases off the line of any wide receiver in the game. His route running is really developed as he's played throughout his career as well. I think both those guys are incredibly slick 
when it comes to running routes. They've obviously both got great hands. They really are probably the best wide receiver duo in, in the National Football League and a really kind of vital part of this entire passing offense. Yeah, we saw a stat that you guys put out here. It was Stefan Diggs currently has 88 catches without a single drop. That is the most catches without a drop in a single season that Pro Football Focus has ever recorded. Is that true? Yeah, that's that's the way we have it at the wow. moment. Um, we we try and everybody has a slightly different definition of drops, um, and some people are pretty harsh when it comes to drops. You know, mm-hmm. the receiver in the hands, they've got to catch it, and if they don't, it's a drop pass. We're not going to call that a drop if it was broken up by you know a defensive back getting his hands in there. Even if it hit the guy in the hands, it was ultimately broken up by a defensive back. You didn't drop it. The, the pass was incomplete because somebody else broke it up. So. You know, there are some plays out there that people might look at and say, well, I thought he dropped that one. And we're saying, well, that he caught that and then a guy broke it up and it was incomplete for a reason it wasn't a drop. But yeah, Stephon Diggs has no drops right now. That's an incredible rate when you consider he's been targeted 118 times this season. Um, he's that, you know, the commercial, everything sticks to Stephon Diggs. <laughs> that's right. Pretty legit. Yeah, we'll take that. Last one, uh, Sam. You look at this Vikings team with three games to go, currently the sixth seed, um, looking to get into the playoffs. What do you think their chances are of doing that and of, of competing in the playoffs? It's obviously going to be a much different path for the Vikings than it was a year ago. They were 13-3 and uh, were one of the favorites going into the playoffs. If they get in this season, it will be as a wild card, and they will not be one of the favorites, but that doesn't mean you can't get the job done. So what do you see down the road for the Vikings? Yeah, I think getting to the playoffs is very achievable. You know, you've obviously got this this game this week against the Dolphins. You've got divisional games to end the season. There's nobody in the division that should scare the Vikings. They know they can beat all those teams. Um, and really, it's just a case of how much they can get their house in order. We know what the problems are. Kirk Cousins has been struggling of late. But Kirk Cousins has been under a huge amount of pressure from the offensive line all the way through the season. Um, they've changed uh, coordinators, there's a new guy in to try and come in and put them in the best situation. And there are ways you can mitigate um, some bad offensive line play, and it's a case of speeding up the ball coming out of his hands. It's a case of moving the pocket sometimes, trying to limit the number of straight dropbacks you have from a quarterback that just allows pass rushers to, to know where he's going to be. You know, if you're not going to move those guys around, they can just get to a spot. They can mm-hmm. rush to an area instead of having to concentrate on exactly what this play is and, and slow themselves down a beat or two. And that, that's going to be a big thing over this next couple of weeks is seeing how much the offense changes and how much it's going to buy Kirk Cousins a little bit of extra room to work. And as much as this team, I think, wants to establish the run, we you know we hear that from Mike Zimmer a lot, I, I don't think that's the answer to their success. I think their best in the passing game, they, when they've been really good this year on offense, it's because the Cousins, the Thielen, and Diggs connection has been so strong, and that's what they need to concentrate on getting back in order. It's, it's figuring out a way of making that work. Now, if they get to the postseason, this team is still good enough to, to do damage. You know, the, the defense is obviously a, a quality unit that's capable of causing problems for pretty much any team they run into, and it's, again, the case of how much they can get the offensive line to hold up its end of the bargain. You know, the concerning part for them is that the defenses and the teams in the postseason tend to be better. And we saw that even a season ago, 
the Saints' pass rush really started to, uh, to cause that offensive line problems. Um, and then obviously the Eagles' pass rush was the best in the NFL, and that really tore them to pieces in the NFC Championship game. So again, I think we're gonna. It's gonna. The, the job is gonna get tougher in the postseason, but there are things that this team can do to to try and mitigate that. And there's so much talent there between the quarterback and and those two fantastic receivers in particular that you can put up a lot of points with this team. And they've they've gone toe to toe with teams like the Los Angeles Rams so far this season. So they're capable of going up against any of these teams. They just need to, um, you know, improve their efficiency and. and give themselves a little bit of an easier task it's a fun time of year isn't it sam yeah absolutely we're getting down to the uh, the crunch of it now the final mm-hmm. few games where everything starts to fall into place and we see what what's what i think i think we should flex that week 17 vikings bears game into sunday night and have you ride along with collinsworth to minneapolis taking a game at u.s bank stadium can we get that done yeah, sounds good. You make it happen. Uh, you, you drop <laughs> drop the boss a note. I'll be I'll be there. <laughs> okay. All right. Good man. People can check out Sam's stuff at Pro Football Focus, and of course, you can check out Sam on Twitter at p uh, at pff underscore Sam. We appreciate your expertise, Sam. You guys are doing great stuff at Pro Football Focus. It's really fun to follow your work, and we hope we can have you on again sometime. Anytime, man. Take it easy. All right. You too. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. All right. So there's Sam Munts, and our thanks again to him for joining us. On today's edition of the Wobcast, I think we'll have him on again in the future if he will oblige. Let's take a look, Chrissy, at this playoff picture in both the NFC and the AFC. Let's start in our conference, the NFC, where I think we're starting to get a pretty good feel for who's going to be in it, but there are still some things to be decided, both in terms of who will be in and who will be out, and then where they will be in the playoff field. One thing I think we can be fairly certain about is the top two seeds. That's going to be the Rams and the Saints in some order, unless something goes really haywire. Like if the Bears win out and the Saints struggle with Carolina and then they have Pittsburgh in between their two Carolina games, maybe yep. the Bears could get up there, but we'll see. But I think those are the top two seeds. And then after that, it's going to be Dallas and Chicago battling for the third and fourth seed, uh, assuming that Chicago doesn't lose out and the Vikings don't win out because then the Vikings would be the three or the four seed. So that that's what we mean by things are still sh- kind of shuffling around potentially. But I think we're starting to get a clearer picture of this playoff field. The Vikings have a solid beat on the sixth seed right now trying to fend off the Philadelphia Eagles, Carolina Panthers, Green Bay Packers are still mathematically alive. Um, and the Vikings win a game or two, they should have that thing locked up. But as you take a look at the NFC playoff field, Chris, what are some of your thoughts? So this is a discussion that I really want to have. Right now, the Vikings are at the sixth seed, the last wild card spot. Which would mean you play the three seed that is in correct. the first round. Yeah. That is currently the Chicago Bears, who the Vikings will see in Week 17. But the Dallas Cowboys are just one game behind the Bears at the four seed. So that brought up a discussion. Who would you rather play at Chicago at Soldier Field, a divisional opponent who is obviously a rival? Not, yeah, yep. Or inside at Dallas, at AT&T Stadium against the Dallas Cowboys, which two very similar teams. They both have great defenses this year. Obviously, the Bears have been just a tad better than the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are hot as, as of late. And they, of course, have their offense playing, clicking on all cylinders the past couple of weeks since they acquired wide receiver Amari Cooper. So, mm-hmm. um, Wabi, who would you rather play? Man, you know, 
I lean Dallas, but here's the thing. I think we can beat the Bears. In fact, I think we are going to beat the Bears in Week 17. So I don't, I don't look at the Bears as a team that I don't think we can beat at all. I think we will beat them in Week 17, and I would have a good, um, I would have good vibes for us going back to Soldier Field to play them in the playoffs too. But the thing I like about Dallas is the controlled environment of the, um, you know, of a of a basically a, a roofed stadium. I like that for our offense. And I think it provides less of a home field advantage for the other team's defense um, when you compare Dallas and Soldier Field. Soldier Field is a raucous, loud place to go. It's miserable there when things aren't going well. So I lean Dallas. How about you? I'm leaning Dallas too, but I'm also going to say that they are no slouch. Their status currently, they are on a five-game winning streak. And Mm. they have, like I said, Amari Cooper, who they traded a first-round draft pick for everyone um, went out there and made jokes about Jerry Jones jumping the gun, and Dallas wasn't in the playoff picture at the time. And I think that trade has done exactly what he pictured, and and that's put them right back in the yeah. playoff picture and at the top of the NFC East. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. Ezekiel Elliott is a player that is definitely not. There, there's no caliber of that player on the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, I don't know, Dak or Trubisky. I, I think I'd rather. <laughs> It's a good question. No, it's it's a good question. I think you can make a compelling case from both sides, and I'll I'll even I'll even put it this way. You know, if the Vikings beat the Bears, if the Vikings lose to the Bears in Week 17, yep, and then have to go to Soldier Field, yep. There's something about that that I like. You see, there. I I don't know if the Bears would like try in that game or want to show any of their offense or show any of in their... Week Seventeen. Yeah, and well, they might have to if they want the three seed. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. There, there's something ominous about, and I remember this from 2009 when the Vikings were 12 and four, and there was a possibility of the Vikings playing the Packers in the playoffs that year. Yep. And the Vikings with Brett Favre had beaten Green Bay twice in the regular season, and I and as as confident as I was in our team that year. I wanted nothing to do with the Packers in the playoffs because, yeah, it's great. We got your quarterback. We came to your stadium. We beat you. We had you come here. We crushed you. We're awesome. You're not. We're 12-4 and four with your quarterback. Yep. Oh, guess what? Green Bay's like, guess what? We get to play you again a third time. We've seen and we're going to get the last laugh. Yep. So like, you have that sort of dynamic going on potentially with a Vikings-Bears playoff game, which I kind of like being on the Vikings side of that. Um, this time around. So the amazing thing is this is such a week-to-week league that we have talked about the NFC playoff picture in this manner this week, but a couple of games go a couple of different ways, and we're talking about the NFC in a much different way. And I'm talking like if the Bears win over Green Bay this week and the Saints lose to Carolina, which is very possible, we're we're looking at this thing way differently. Chicago's thinking about getting the two-seed. Absolutely. Right? That's yep. what they're talking about. Absolutely. And we're, th- and we're looking at possibly going to New Orleans in the first round. You know, if the Vikings lose. And I'd the, take and the, the Cowboys pa- and the Bears over yeah. to New Orleans. Yeah, me yeah. too. I mean, the Vikings lose and the Packers win, and the Packers all of a sudden, their eyebrows are raising up a little bit, and they're looking to see what their chances are. So this is a week-to-week league, man, and we'll have to see what happens this week. We'll have an even clearer picture of things uh, by the time Sunday night rolls around. But there are some games on the docket here. Um, in the NFL in Week 15 that are going to be super interesting. Um, Vikings-Dolphins, obviously interesting to us, but, I mean, Saints um, playing the Panthers. 
Bears playing the Packers. We already had the Chiefs and Chargers, which was monumental for the AFC. Eagles, we have the Rams, Eagles at yep. the Rams is a great game. Yep. So um, this this is going to be a really fun week. But that's sort of what the NFC playoff picture looks like heading into Week 15. Before we move on to the Dolphins, who play in the AFC, I want to ask you for a prediction okay. in the AFC. Who do you see playing in the AFC championship game this year? And the reason I think this becomes a more interesting question today is what happened on Thursday night where the Chargers went to Arrowhead Stadium on a short week under the bright lights and defeated Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to make the AFC race, AFC West race, a wide open one between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Yep, both teams are at 11-3. and Kansas City currently has the top spot. Um, due to a tiebreaker, so um, they still sit in front. So if if they ended up with a tie, I think it would go to Kansas City, determining how their um, what is it their division schedule. Division there? record would be next. That's right. So division record would determine the winner of that division if it ends up in a tie. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but I really like this L.A. Chargers team. They showed that they can lose their best running back, best option on offense, and not even skip a beat. I, Of course, the same thing happened with the Chiefs and them losing Kareem Hunt, but um, this L.A. Chargers team, they have a veteran at quarterback, Phillip Rivers. He's never really won that big game, and I think that like this year he showed it last night that he's willing to go for two when they're down by one at the last second there, obviously backed by his coach, Anthony Lynn, but Man, I really like the way Phillip Rivers is playing right now, and I, I really do see this Chargers team in that last game before the Super Bowl. I think they're going to have a chance. I really wow. do. Wow. Yeah, so you got the Chargers in the AFC title game. I really do. I, I would rather have Phillip Rivers in the playoffs than Patrick Mahomes. I know that's crazy for all you out there who really love Patrick Mahomes and the unbelievable season that he's had so far, but he is not. He is not a veteran to the caliber of Phillip Rivers, and Phillip Rivers showed it last night, winning on the road, mind you, in Kansas mm-hmm. City. Um, and I just don't want to see the page. Ugh. I'm not asking you what you want. I know, and I'm what asking I want. you what no, you think is going to happen. I think it's going to be Chargers Patriots. Chargers Patriots in that last game. Where's I think, the game going to be? I think L.A. It, I think it'll be in L.A., and I think it's going to be a tough one because that L.A. is a playing at that little soccer stadium that the Chargers play in right now, you do not have the best home field advantage compared to some of the other teams like going to Foxborough and playing the Patriots or going to Seattle or all those great home field advantages. They don't have that. So that's Mm going to be something that really does affect them. But they've shown they could win anywhere. I mean, they've been so great this season. And I think their offense, when you have a guy like Keenan Allen as your number one wide receiver, Mike Williams, who's a big body, and then Tyrell Williams, who's – more of a faster wide receiver, and Antonio Gates is still doing it. I mean, Mm -hmm. we saw him do it um, on the national stage last night at the age that he's at, which is incredible. So um, I believe in this Chargers team, and I think that they will play the Patriots in that last game. I'm not going to predict the winner because I don't even want to say because I think the Patriots are going on the Super Bowl. But, um, yeah, and then – one team I really think you can't forget about is Houston. I agree. I was going to talk about everyone them when is, you were done. Here. Yeah, everyone. Get, I'll let you talk about Houston, but um, I saw them start the season out 0-3, and I couldn't believe how terrible they were at the beginning of the season with all the talent that they have on both sides of the ball. And they completely just took those losses and, and went on a run here, and it's a 9-1 and run. So let's let's talk about them. Yeah, they're 9-4. and They finally lost a game after winning 9 
straight. Nine straight. Nine yep. straight. They finally lost a game, so they're nine and four. They're plus sixty-four in point differential. They're going to win their division, which means they're going to play at home in the first round. I do not see the Colts or the Titans going three and zero, and the Texans going zero and three. I don't think that's going to happen. So they're going to play at home in the first round of the playoffs. I don't think they're going to have a first round bye. It's possible still. I think the Patriots are going to get that. So they're an interesting team because they're going to go, I believe, into the divisional round in the AFC having won a playoff game and having won a bunch of games since they started 0-3. So I think that's a dangerous team. Dual threat quarterback. They trade for Demarius Thomas. DeAndre Hopkins, for my money, is one of the best receivers in the NFL, if not the best. Yep. And um, I think Bill O'Brien is on to a little something here with the Houston Texans. So I like them. I don't know that I would put them in the AFC Championship game, though. I think the AFC Championship game is going to be very chalky. It's going to be the favorites. It's going to, I think it's going to be the Patriots and the Chiefs. That's yeah. what I think it's going to be. But we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun to watch here over the final three games of the season. Okay, we're going to talk about the Miami Dolphins, and we're going to get to some of your mail very quickly here before we let you go. Our Dolphins talk is going to start with a story. A story from producer and co-host Chris Corso about a Dolphins player. I don't know what the story is. You don't know it yet. So I'm that's, somewhat that's nervous about what's coming out. I'm afraid we're going to have to um, cut it out of the Wobcast and put it on the cutting room floor because I don't know if it's going to be um, safe or appropriate. You're very excited to tell the story. You can't hold in your laughter, so let's have it. Yep. I, I trickled into Wobby's office just to tell him that I had a fun story to tell on this Wobcast, and it's about one of the players on the Miami Dolphins roster. So one, one, uh, it was a day after I got back from training camp in 2016, and I came back and I went to my roommate, Kendall Peters, who actually works for the Vikings in the building, and his girlfriend, Claire, was there as well. And I, I said, he said, who's a player that's really standing out in training camp that's going to be really good? Yeah. And I said, Stefan Dix. Okay. I said, he is like... So he's having such a great every practice he makes a play and he's going to be a superstar someday. He's been so good. This is when he was still kind of on the come up yeah. and, and stuff like that. So Kendall's girlfriend Claire says to me, I think we were like barbecuing outside or whatever, um, and out, like just hanging by the grill. And she goes, "Yeah, he's kind of like that guy Kenny Stills." <laughs> yeah. And I said. Yeah, except Kenny Stills sucks. Whoa! <laughs> I was yeah, like, but Kenny Stills is like good, man. I was like, I was like, Kenny Stills sucks. Like, I was just like, yeah, Stephon Diggs is, is really good, <laughs> and Kenny Stills sucks. And she, and and Claire goes, Kenny Stills is my brother. Oh no! <laughs> oh. And I was like, oh my oh. god, I felt so terrible. I was oh. like, no way, because and and Claire's adopted, and and Kenny Stills is her biological brother, so they do not share. The same last name, so I wouldn't have known any of this. Oh, I knew none of this. Yeah, her, yeah, her, she's not Claire <laughs> Stills. Yeah, it was it was really not the the easiest thing to recover from, and I had no chance of recovery at all. So I was just like, you know what? I was like, oh well, he was good when Drew Brees was his quarterback. With the, and she's like, no, nah, you you screwed up. You're yeah. done. You're done. Oh, it's over. So I was man. like, I'm just gonna go uh, crawl up in a hole and and never come <sighs> out forever. That's so, tough. That was my story. It's pretty good. 
Um, <laughs> just for the record, uh, the Wobcast does not think Kenny Stills sucks. <laughs> we very much respect Kenny Stills. It'd be nice if he'd take the day off on Sunday. Yeah. That'd really make me feel yeah, a lot and better. That, that's a perfect lead into some of these wide receivers here. Kenny uh, Stills is, is a big part of what the Dolphins are doing. He leads all Dolphins wide receivers with 504 yards and six touchdowns. So, man, he's having yeah. a pretty good year and proved me wrong. So. All right. That's pretty good. Anything else from the Dolphins you want to go over? I mean, uh, they got really good edge rushers. So we can, you know, we'll talk about that. I mean, we don't want to be in third and long a bunch because they have Cameron Wake on one side and they have Robert Quinn on the other. Okay, so I don't care who your offensive linemen are when those two guys are coming at you. That's tough. So we want to stay out of third and long, right? Yep. Anything else with the Dolphins? They're going to have Tannehill. He's been playing a lot better since he came back from injury. Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake, two running backs to keep an eye on. Obviously, Frank Gore is the, the elder there, and he's mm-hmm. been around forever, but he is still producing, so yep. always remember that. So that, that's kind of what their offense is going to look like. They're going to come at you pretty hard with Frank Gore and uh, with, with Kenyon Drake, and then when they have to throw the ball, they're, they, they don't have guys that really scare you. Um, so if you're good with your coverage, you should be fine. If you're not, though, you, you know, it's Danny Amendola, it's Corso's guy, Kenny Stills, <laughs> who you're going to have to look out for. I think their best receiver, his last name is Grant. He's not playing, so that's good for us. He's, he's out. Yep. But, um, Don't the, tell Claire that. The, right. The, I won't. <laughs> the offensive design um, is good. It's Adam Gase, who's very well-respected offensive mind in this league. He's their head coach, and he designs and calls their offense. Lots of uh, motions. Lots of formation shifts, lots of different personnel groupings. So uh, I, I think that the mental gymnastics part of the week of game planning and preparing was a challenge for the Vikings and the coaching staff. There's a lot to get ready for. Um, but I think when we get out onto the field, if the Vikings execute on defense, I think it's going to be a very good day for our defense. Offensively, new offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski, he takes the helm um, of the offense. Obviously, with three games to go and this far into the season, you're not going to see a new offense. And we don't want to see a new offense. We liked what our offense looked like in the first part of the season. So I think you're going to see Kevin try and get back to that. The one thing, Chris, that I think is going to be a a subtle difference here in the Vikings offense with Stefanski as a coordinator. You know, he was a foot soldier for the first uh, 13 games of the season, right? He's a position coach. Yep. And you know what the foot soldiers do? They they talk amongst themselves and you know in the in the tents at night, you know, in between battles and hey, we should do this and I wish we would do that more and I don't know why we do that and but you know, coach Di Filippo is the boss and we're going to do what his vision is and we're going to try and get this thing done. Well, now there isn't that vision. Now it's it's one of the foot soldiers who's in charge and he's, you know, the other foot soldiers are going to have Kevin's ear. So I think there are going to be there's going to be a, a bigger tolerance um, for in-game adjustments by Kevin. You know, he's not going to be married to his way of doing it. Yep. He's just going to want to get the job done the best way that, that it can get done. So you can't really see that when you're watching the games in person or on TV. So if you're expecting these huge changes, I just don't think you're going to see that. I think the changes are going to be subtle, but hopefully they result in big changes when it comes to production. And you did a great job of answering our first fan mail question. Oh, from, I did? From Kathy Briesmeister. What's from Kathy got? Inner Grove Heights. Okay. I, and she says... Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's Inver... Grove Heights. Okay. Inver. Get I your said, Minnesota geography down, New I York said, boy. I said Inner Grove Heights. Inver Grove Heights. Isn't there an Inner Grove, though? No. No. No, it's IGH, okay? Never mind. IGH. God. 
Um, I'd have to add what, if anything, do you expect differently from Mr. Stefanski, says Kathy. Yeah. So, yeah, we kind of just went into that. If, and, if, yeah. I, if I had to pick something that you will notice watching the games, I think you're going to notice runs, running plays that look a little different. The, the tempo of them, the blocking scheme, there might be just little changes maybe that you, that you might notice. Quick hitting runs, um, you know, but generally speaking, I think the changes are going to be hard to notice with, uh, with, you know, from an untrained eye. Next one from Robert S. in Minneapolis. That's a, that's a nice and easy one for me to say yeah. since I live there. Yes. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on wide receivers being so wide open this year in the NFL. Almost every game I watch, it seems to happen quite often. I realize that defensive backs have a tough job to do, but I wanted to get your opinion on this. Keep up the good work, Wabi Skull. I guess I haven't totally noticed that. Have you noticed that? Not May- more than, than normal, I don't think. But, I don't know. But I do think he brings up a good point. You know, I mean, the, the rules are, are changing a lot to favor the offense, so I think that's part of it. I don't think it's ever been tougher to play pass defense in the NFL than it is right now. In the 100-year history, I think it's 99-year history of the NFL, I think this is as tough as it's ever been to play pass defense. And that's why there is a premium on corners who can cover. And dovetailing off what Sam Munson said, Trey Waynes is a more than capable coverage corner. He's a first-round pick, and yeah, he doesn't hit you as the type of first-round pick that maybe some others have been in the past or currently are. But Trey is very, very capable in coverage. He has developed greatly under the tutelage of Mike Zimmer, Jerry Gray, and George Edwards. And there is great value in, in Trey Waynes because he can cover uh, better than most. And it's very difficult to cover with the rules now uh, set up the way they are. So um, that could be maybe why uh, we think receivers are a little more open than they have been is that corners are trying to back off from the contact a little bit to not get penalized. Yeah, and, and I really like appreciated how much Sam Munson really loved the play of Trey Waynes because a lot of people are always bashing him as the number two cornerback uh, for the for the Vikings. But um, man, when, when he's not out there on the field, you definitely see the difference. So, yep. um, number three from Joel in Montana. I know that playing offensive line is very difficult in today's NFL. My question is: Is it easier for an offensive lineman to run block? which has an aggressive forward motion, or is it easier to pass block, which by nature has a backward and more pr- protective stance? Mm. Or does it depend on each player? Mm. So that's a good good question. Yeah, I think it depends on each player and, and what their athletic ability is and what their skill set is. You know, um, yep. I think what offensive linemen really love to do, though, is is block downhill and just mash people in the running game time I, after that's time what after I would time. Like. That's yeah, what I, would like I think to that's do. what they want to do. <laughs> like they they want to impose their will and dominate, uh, you know, another defensive line and just move the ball down the field. Yep. That's what they want. I mean, a nightmare is down two scores and it's third and long, and yep. you've got Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter not even thinking about stopping the running back. All they're doing is pass rushing and setting up pass rush moves. That's a nightmare for any offensive lineman. I think that generally they prefer to run block. Yep, I agree. All righty. We've done all the damage we can do on this late-week edition of the Wobcast. Thanks, Chrissy, for all your work. Appreciate it. Yep. Our thanks to Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus for joining us on today's edition of the Wobcast. We're going to be back next week with another edition, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Make sure you keep sending in your emails and your tweets, and if we see some good ones, we will include them 
on the Wobcast or in any of the other content series we have on Vikings.com, including the Pick 6 video mailbag and the Monday morning mailbag, which we do every single week. All right, that's going to do it. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend and have fun watching the Vikings play on Sunday. The game is against the Miami Dolphins. The game is at U.S. Bank Stadium, and the game kicks off at noon on CBS and, of course, on the Vikings Radio Network. That's the recommended way of catching the Vikings every single game day is on the Vikings Radio Network, where voice of the Vikings Paul Allen will have the call, along with Pete Bursich in the booth, yours truly doing stats between them, and then Greg Coleman and Ben Lieber bringing you coverage from the sideline. Again, kickoff noon central time on Sunday, Vikings and Dolphins. All right, everyone, thanks a lot for listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, have a good weekend, and Skull Vikings. So, yeah, I started